may be seated. As uh, you read the passage that he read today, have you noticed that the one the candlestick was beaten out of one piece of gold, a single piece of gold? Can you imagine the skill that God gave to the goldsmiths to do that? Uh, it's just it's it's God's God's ability that He gives man to work hard for His glory. Our text is Exodus twenty and verse four. As I said, I like uh, last time I liked to teach using a series of messages. This message is from my series on the Ten Commandments. There are so many in this commandment, um, so many applications in this commandment that we can only touch on the hem of the garment. I've sliced and diced this message many times and thrown out parts so that I could fit it into uh, the time frame we have here. This message and others, I've got five of them posted, uh, the complete studies in five of the commandments. Uh, and they are quite lengthy. They're not for the faint of heart. They're for those who really want to know what God says here. And they're posted at the biblicalexaminer.org updates. And this message, unedited, is also there. Exodus 20 and verse 4. The second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, this second commandment is the basic uh, basis to the command, Be ye holy, even as I am holy, that is found in Leviticus 20:17 and in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. And I'll go easy on these, uh, these references so you'll have a chance to write them down. Because I'm sure you may like to look them up. Failure to be holy, that is failure to live up to the name of Christ that we claim, is to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, we take the name of the Lord in vain when we fail to be what we profess to be. Now the second commandment, the Westminster Larger Catechism. Yes, a Baptist quotes the catechism and I these these men were godly men and what they wrote down cannot be touched uh it's just tremendous the catechism and I'd love to teach through it the Westminster larger catechism in question number 108 says what are the duties required in the second commandment answer the duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship 
and ordinances as God has instructed in his word, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God, and vowing unto him, as also the disapproving, this detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. The, uh, <clears throat> the answer here, uh, question 9, uh, question 109 says, <clears throat> excuse me, what are the sins forbidden in the second commandment? The sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, uh, commanding, using, or otherwise approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself, tolerating a false religion, and making any representation of God of all or of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of uh, image and likeness of any creature, Whatsoever, all worship of it, or God in it, or by it, and making of any representation of feigned deities, and all worship of them, or serving a service belonging to them, all superstitious devices, corrupting the worship of God, adding to it, or taking from it, whether invented or taking up ourselves, or receiving by tradition from others, Though under the title of antiquity, customs, devotions, good intent, or any other pretense, whether simony, that is trafficking in ecclesiastical offices, uh, preaching for profit, uh, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath created. Question number 110. What are the reasons... Uh, annexed to the second commandment the more to enforce uh, why the strong statement attached here and I'll just give you the last paragraph here his fervent zeal for his own worship and his revengeful, revengeful, revengeful indignation against all false worship as being a spiritual whoredom according to the breakers of this commandment such as hate him and threatening to punish them unto diverse generations, and esteeming the obser observers of it, of such as love him and keep his commandments, and promising mercy unto them unto many generations. Now, this commandment requires that everyone who is standing in the pulpit today is to be defending the truth of the gospel the truth of the truth it's a responsibility of every man speaking the name of christ to keep the religious worship as instituted by god himself in the second commandment uh, pure the duty of every man who speaks in the name of god is to expose the ravening wolves that are walking about seeking to devour the souls of men. I am this morning to present a clear understanding of God. And in our case this morning, a clear understanding of what proper worship means and what 
proper approach to the Father requires. It would be so enjoyable to be able to develop what these divines of old said in the Westminster Confession. But we only have time to quickly touch one point. That point is the altar and the proper manner of worship toward our Redeemer God as found in Leviticus 1 and verse 4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Under the old covenant, the shed blood of the atonement only covered sin. Under the new covenant, the shed blood of Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that's found in Hebrews 9 and verse 26. So let us this morning examine the altar as it reveals the only legitimate legal approach to God the Father. There are many religious assemblies today who are gathered in the name of Christ. And they profess a great love for the Lord. Yet it's obvious that they are meeting in rebellion to the second commandment. There's only one approach to God, and, only, and that's through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Not through our good works, not through anything we have done, not through anything we pray. It's only through Christ is a legitimate thing, and we will see, we will develop that here. Proverbs 28, 4, John 14, 15, and John 15, 10 would be the verses to confirm what we just said. Man's commitment to God's command, word, determines his love or his hatred toward God. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. The second commandment here tells us that the vast majority of those who profess Christ and who are meeting today hate God. They hate the God of the Bible. Their worship is according to their own vain imagination. The accord, their worship this morning is according to what they think is best. It's not according to the truth that is found in God's Word. <clears throat> Excuse me. It violates the second commandment, as we just read in the Westminster Confession. Note here that God always equates love with keeping his commandments, not only his commandments toward himself, but toward our neighbor. The second commandment is more detailed than the first, and it's given in two parts. The first part is, no image is to be made, and no worship of those forbidden images. The second part is a promise of blessing or of a curse, depending on our manner of worship. Those folks who are trying to worship God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, are inheriting a curse upon themselves. Those who are worshiping God according to the truth as revealed in his word are inheriting a blessing 
from God himself. Basically, the second commandment deals with the proper manner of worship and approaching the heavenly father. The second commandment covers all the Old Testament tabernacle and all of its furnishings, the altar, and how each of these things applies to Christ and how they apply into the New Testament gospel church. And we could go down through these and and develop them all, but uh, there's no such time. The wise man told us to seek God's wisdom and understanding as one seeks silver and hid, hid treasures. Multitudes of godly men have sought God's wisdom in the commandments, and they have spent lifetimes recording the treasures they found there. And it's a joy to search. The best book I have found uh, in dealing with the Ten Commandments is Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, and I recommend that to anyone who wants to have any kind of insight into the commandments in their modern setting. We'll only look this morning at a key portion of the second commandment, that is the preaching of the gospel of Christ. This is a very foundation of the Father's promise to the Son that the Father will subdue all things under the Son's footstool. It's through the preaching of the the faithful God, through the faithful preaching of the gospel that the nations and peoples of the world will be subdued in under the kingdom of Christ or into the kingdom of Christ. And you'll find, anyway, the obvious meaning of the second commandment is that there can be no imaginative ideas, no idols, no graven images, no religious relics used in the worship of God. Now, I'll only mention one idol as we quickly pass through, and that would be found in um, uh, Leviticus 19.4 says, Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. And I'll just give you one verse out of Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again, ye shall say to the children of Israel, uh, Whosoever be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech, they worship Molech by giving their seed unto Molech. He shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him. And it's given again in verse 3 and again in verse 4. Unto Molech. Who is Molech? Who was Molech? Molech, according to Rush Dooney, uh, <clears throat> means worship, uh, Molech worship is sacrificing our children to the state's education system. Worship of Molech sacrifices our children to the state for education. And that will be found on page 30 through 40 in Institutes, Volume 1. Uh, sacrificing our children to the state is Molech worship. R.L. Dabney gives an excellent explanation of how this nation was forcefully turned to Molech worship. Worship after the Unitarian War of Northern Aggression. And that'll be found in uh, Discussions, Volume uh, 4. Uh, he was the Presbyterian chaplain and chief of staff and the bi biographer of Stonewall Jackson. 
Uh, excellent read if you ever have a chance to read him. Discussion contains several 1879 letters by Dabney to the Virginia Superintendent of State Schools concerning the state free school system. And Dabney's warning has proved true many times over. <coughs> Excuse me. In Deuteronomy 4, 4, verses 15 through 19, we see the second commandment deals with the images that represent a god, such as Buddha and many others. It especially forbids images or pictures that are meant to represent the true God. I have a problem with these uh, pictures of Jesus. Uh, that, that sure does not reflect an uh, oriental man because Christ was oriental. He came from the tribe of uh, Shem, and that was the, uh, that was the or oriental tribe. All the orientals came from Shem. Um, no, uh, it forbids, uh, it does not forbid engravings, pictures, and artwork in general. It forbids using these things as an aid in worship. The second commandment emphasizes that man, the sinner, can only approach the Holy Father in heaven on God's terms. There can be no other mediator between God and man except that which or is ordained by God, the man, Christ Jesus. We know that if a man can determine for himself how to approach God then he can determine for himself the terms of his life and prosperity. But the only lawful approach that will produce life and prosperity is clearly established in the second commandment. Satan has convinced man that he can be his own God. And because he believes he is God, uh, he believes he can have total control of even nature itself. Of course, these hurricanes that we're seeing blowing around uh, prove that man is absolutely crazy to think he can do such a thing. The Lord in heaven sits in heaven. The Lord sits in his heaven and laughs at man's foolish belief that he can control nature, global warming, and that kind of foolishness, among many other things. Um, but man, thinking that he is God, believes that he can control nature, he can make his own laws, and by following his humanistic laws, man can obtain the promises uh, and re restore the paradise that Adam lost. We fail to understand the depth of man's commitment to his anti-God faith that says he can produce paradise. Man's faith in himself is so strong that he will gladly and quickly control, uh, kill multitudes of people in order to accomplish his dream of paradise on earth. His faith is much stronger than the faith of many professed Christians. Now, his greatest enemy has always been and is those who believe God and are committed to walk in the laws of our God. The second commandment clearly lays out our responsibility to defend God's total law word. 
by developing and applying sound biblical truth and wisdom. Let's go to the altar. Exodus 20. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to take the time. You've read it many times here. So let's go to Exodus 20. Verses 1 through 17, the Lord gives the commandments. In verses 18 through 21, the people had a glimpse of the holiness and the terribleness of God, and they feared to approach him. Verses 18, starting verse 18, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpets and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. Let, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your face that ye sin not. And the people stood far off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. God at the mountain revealed his power and holiness in a most terrifying way imaginable. Even Moses said that the sight was so terrible that he feared exceedingly. Hebrews 12 and verse 21. <clears throat> then in verses uh, then in Exodus 20, 18 through 20, after seeing and hearing the divine majesty and the holiness of the law, they feared for their lives. They feared that the great fire would consume them if they continued to listen to the voice of God. So being fearful and unable to bear what they heard and saw, they asked Moses to mediate for them, to hear God and speak for God. In ex, uh, Adam Clark, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, um, we are told that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Godly wisdom seeks a mediator between the holy God and sinful man. If you have any wisdom at all, you're going to flee to the only mediator, which is Christ Jesus. Adam Clark tells us that this teaching, this teaches us the absolute necessity of the great mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, and no man can come unto the Father but by him. Exodus 20, then in Exodus 20, verses 22 to 25, after revealing his terrible power, and the holiness of his law, the Lord tells Moses how the people are to approach him. Then in verse 24, an altar of earth shall ye make unto me. The second commandment was the basis of the tabernacle. Everything in the tabernacle and later in the temple, especially the altar, clearly and unmistakably tells us that there is no approach to God the Father for salvation nor approach in prayer apart from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Everything points to him and to his work at redeeming his people. The second commandment and the altar is the very basic of the Christian faith. 
Now, uh, picking up your notes there in the bulletin, verse 24, an altar of earth shall thou make unto me. This teaches us first. One must realize his sinfulness according to the divine law before he can see the need of the mediator. He must realize his sinfulness and recognize the holiness and judgment of God against sin. Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God points out sin and convicts of sin. Romans 4, 15, uh, 5, uh, Romans 4, 15 and 5, 13. Realization of sin comes from hearing the law. It's not man's law, but it's God's law that reveals the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men. In Acts 2 and verse 23. Now when they heard this, that is Peter's preaching of the law, they, uh, they were pricked or pierced in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Calvin points out that not only did the power of the Spirit produce diverse tongues, but also in their hearts which heard. That is to say, the, whole, the same Holy Spirit that produced tongues in Acts chapter 2 verse 3 was the same or is the same Holy Spirit that used the word of God to pierce the hearts of Peter's hearers. It is the Spirit who must produce godly repentance, that repentance without which no man shall see God in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Second, the context of Exodus 20 shows that they realize the holiness of God and their sinfulness. Realizing that, they feared God, even that God would kill them, even that they would die. So they asked Moses to mediate between them and the fearful God they experienced at the mount. In Deuteronomy 18.15 and, uh, and Acts 3 verse 22 and 7 verse 34, Moses prophesied of a man like unto himself who would be their mediator. And that is found there in Acts 3 and Acts 7. Third thing, verse 24. We see without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin, according to Hebrews 9.22. Thus the shedding of blood of an innocent victim had to be shed in the place of those who feared God and realized their sinfulness. Fourth, verse 25, the altar had to be made of natural stone with no work of man upon the stone. God gave specific details concerning the altar and all the furnishings of the tabernacle, of the temple there. He warned Moses not to deviate from God's design. Now the temple, or the tabernacle, and then the temple and altar had stood for over a thousand years by the time we get to the New Testament. The purpose of the letter of the Hebrews was to persuade the Hebrews 
who had served God through the temple altar to leave that altar and those uh, to leave those now useless ordinances and sacrifices. They now had the true altar and the true sacrifice. And any return to the old manner of worship was fearful apostasy. Apostasy from the new Christian faith that they had, uh, they had embraced. Can we imagine? We can't imagine the pull that the old established Hebrew worship at the temple and the altar had upon that first generation of Christians. My grandparents, my, uh, ever since there's been recorded history of the, uh, the Israelite race after, after they came out of, after they came out of Egypt has followed the, the, the altar and the sacrifices on the physical altar. And you expect us to change? That's been the tradition forever. My parents, my grandparents, my great-great-great-great-great, uh, and go all the way back a thousand years, 1,500 years, go all the way back. That has been the manner of worship of my family since they came out of Egypt. And they could trace their family through the archives all the way back to that time. We cannot imagine the hold that that altar, that tradition had upon them. I have met more than a few people, and I'm sure you have too, who are uh, convinced of their way because that was a tradition of their parents. We had a, uh, uh, a family, a Methodist, um, uh, a family lived right across the street from, the, uh, from our church there in Linden. And we got to be good friends with them. And we planted, in fact, we planted a maple tree out front, and uh, he called that his Baptist tree, and he watered it every day so it would grow. Uh, but uh, we, uh, but he uh, he knew the pastor was teaching heresy, uh, not according to scripture. And I said, "Well, why don't you leave?" He said, "Well, my my wife's grandmother played the organ there, and we can't leave." How many people are caught? in those traditions this is what we have done forever we're not going to change we're not going to give up our tradition for uh, a, a bloody gospel we're not going to do that that was uh, the situation faced by these early hebrew christians to whom the book of hebrews was written we need to keep it in its context it was written to Hebrews who were still held by the traditions of the temple and the temple sacrifices. As you read that uh, through the book of Hebrews, you see that very clear. They are being convinced that that is now a fearful apostasy to the new Christian faith they had, re, uh, they had embraced. Hebrews 13.10 tells them, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. We have a new altar. We have a new sacrifice, he tells them. Give up the old. You've got to give up the old in your mind, in your heart. Now, folks, that's hard to do. It's hard to change an opinion or a belief that we have held for years. I got caught in that. I wasn't saved till I was... Uh, 50 some years old 1977 
because I held on to the old confidence I had in various things. Said a prayer, said, uh, you know, had a good life. I, uh, John three sixteen. Uh, depend on that and all these things that uh, held me to the past confidences that I had that were not scriptural. A fifth thing here, the catechism tells us that the second commandment reveals his, God's fervent zeal for his own worship and his revengeful indignation against all false worship as being a spiritual whoredom according to the breakers of this commandment such as hate him and threaten to punish them unto diverse generations and esteeming the observers of such in as love him and keep his commandments and promising mercy to them unto many generations. Such that hate him. Those who are worshiping this morning uh, not according to the mediation work of Christ, hate God. That's a hard thing to say. But they live a moral life. No, we are not a Christian. Uh, we are not a religion of morality. We are a religion of the book of following Christ. But they they love God. They profess God. They love their neighbors themselves. But you're not going to change the neighbor's heart by loving him. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God. Thus, the second commandment requires the death penalty against any sin of false worship apart from the one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. That false worship is treason against the kingdom of God and treason calls for God's righteous wrath against the guilty. Ezekiel 20 and verse 13. Uh, Just a quick note in passing. Uh, 18 U.S. Code uh, 2381 is the law against treason, subversion, or sedition against the U.S. Requires a a fine of $10,000 in 1948 money. It bears, uh, it bars the guilty from holding any office. Uh, many politicians over the past several years have clearly, uh, clearly uh, committed treason. Any approach to the Father other than through the Son is treason against the kingdom of God, and the king will not hold him guiltless. The natural man hates the law which was given for life. He hates any idea that says the wages of sin is death because there is no sin without the commandments. Then he must remove the commandments from public consciousness. We had to get the commandments off the walls in the classroom. Why? Because it might prick the conscience that there is sin in the heart. The commandments must be removed. And we're seeing that removal today. We're, and it's, they're almost removed. I mean, uh, Judge Moore, of course, you're all familiar with Judge Moore running for the, uh, for the uh, Senate out of Alabama. He had the Ten Commandments there in the... Uh, my son-in-law's from Alabama, and we've been down there several times to visit him. Um, he took me to the courthouse, and we saw the Ten Commandments sitting there in the courthouse. And by the way, we did have uh, dinner one time with uh, Judge Moore's wife. Uh, but they, they kicked him off the Supreme Court because he would not remove the commandments. 
He ran again and they kicked him off the Supreme Court because he wouldn't approve sodomite marriages. Um, and now he's running for Senate and that is really throwing him in a turmoil because he will definitely hold to his guns because he sacrificed his position as uh, head of the Supreme Court twice. And eh, they were foolish down there to think they could de defeat him in Alabama. That was, that was crazy. Uh, anyway, man has to remove the Ten Commandments because it speaks of sin. It speaks of judgment. Men don't want judgment. They want mercy. But there can be no mercy without judgment. We'll get into that here in a moment. The second commandment, the sixth, the second commandment requires a proper sacrifice. Leviticus 1 and verse 1. Uh, speak, uh, the Lord called to Moses, spake to him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any of you bring an offering unto the Lord, he shall bring your offering of the cattle, and so on, without blemish. So he had to offer a blood sacrifice. The, sac the blood of that sinless sacrifice had to be placed on the altar. In Leviticus 1, uh, 1 through 5, we're told the sinner had to bring his required offering to the only acceptable location which is appointed by God, or it meant nothing. It was no more than just killing an animal. And that's in Deuteronomy 12. In John 4, Christ spoke to the woman at the well. Remember what he told her? He told her that the change, that he changed the location of the altar and sacrifice from Jerusalem to himself. John 4. In John 1, 29, when Christ first presented himself publicly, the Baptist told his hearer that, hearers that Christ was a Passover lamb sent by God to take away the sins of the, of the world. And we know that uh, number seven, seven, the Leviticus law of the substitutionary sacrifice was not new. This is very important that we understand this. According to John 8, verse 56, the gospel of the substitutionary work of the sinless sacrifice of Christ was preached to Abraham. Abraham knew it. Abraham was either shown or knew the gospel of Christ in Genesis 22. Read Genesis 22. It's very clear there. He was told to sacrifice thine only son who thou lovest. And he was confident that God would raise his son, the son. And that is found in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, Hebrews 11, 13 and 39, and 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. It's interesting that Noah and Abraham lived at the same time for 58 years. Abraham knew Noah. Leviticus 1.4 And he, the sinner, shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. The sinner, under the first covenant, who wanted forgiveness, knew 
that he had to come to the altar as a sinner. It was there that he would, by faith, place his hand on the sacrifice. By faith, he then trusted that sacrifice to cover the penalty of his sin until the promised mediator, the promised sacrifice, would come. As Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. You'll find it again in Genesis 22. Though the animal sacrifice, uh, through that animal sacrifice, became the bearer of his sin before God, but it could not purge his conscience of sin. The apostle applied the requirement of Leviticus, Leviticus 1 verse 4 to Christ in Romans 10 verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Upon hearing God's penalty, upon hearing and understanding God's word against sin, the Holy Spirit, and I believe in election, as you do. I, uh, anyway, I've been elect. I wouldn't be saved if God hadn't have elected me before the foundation of the world. You wouldn't be saved today if God had not chosen you. I don't know why he did it, but he chose us before the foundations of the world. And I rejoice in that. It's a glorious doctrine of election. But upon hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit must pierce the heart, as happened there in Acts 2, of the sinner. And according to Galatians 2, verse 8 and 9, God then gives his supernatural grace of faith to believe in or trust in the Lamb of God to pay for his sin. Christ said that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Revelation 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, unto him that loved us, loved his people, loved his elect from the foundations of the earth, from before the foundations of the world, he loved us, his people. And he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What a glorious statement that is. We have been risen to sit with him in the heavens. According to Ephesians. John 3 verses. First uh, John 3, 4. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 9.28, 1 Peter 2.22, 3.18, Hebrews 9.9, 9, and 14, and uh, Hebrews 10.2 and 22. Only through the altar of Hebrews 13.10 can the sinner be accepted by the thrice holy God who is the God of the Israel of the new covenant? You and me. 
you and me. We are the new Israel of God under the new covenant, sealed by the blood of Christ. Eighth, the altar reveals God's demand for judgment. Godly peace requires justice and judgment against sin. In Revelation 6 and verse 10, the saints under the altar cry out to God, How long, O Lord, will you withhold your vengeance for our blood? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is our prayer for God's judgment against sin. Isaiah 26, 9 tells us that God's judgment on the earth will teach the inhabitants righteousness. But faith does not set aside our requirement of righteousness and justice. Rather, faith gives grace and power to please God with a new heart and a new love for His law. Psalms 119 and Philippians 2 and verse 13. Sadly, I have found that many times a clear conscience allows us to sin before God. We take advantage of the clear conscience to sin. It is His grace that gives a desire and power to glorify Him with every thought and action. Ninth, the second commandment requires restitution and atonement before God. When the civil authorities set aside restitution and the death penalty, they promote evil. Wicked men today are now rewarded to rob, rob, rape, kidnap, and kill. They're rewarded with free room and board, education, medical care, at the cost of about 65000 a year. The state's attitude toward lawlessness means that good men are denied their right to live. You'll find that in Numbers 35, 33, and 34. Showing unjust mercy to the lawbreaker is a death sentence upon the lawkeeper. Mercy cannot be shown both to the lawbreaker and to the lawkeeper. Those who reject the commandments reject God's means of atonement. For atonement must be according to the law and the precepts as established in Exodus 20. And finally, 10th, we'll end up here with the good news of the second commandment. It promises God's mercy and blessing upon many following generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. That's a promise to us as we keep His commandments and do all things for the glory of God. I have been, I heard a new term the other day and I've been doing a little research on it called the selfie generation. Have any of you heard that term? Like I said, I was kind of blindsided with that term. Uh, you can guess what, pretty much what it is as uh, people take selfies and emphasize self. Um, but uh, it's a result of the Fabian socialism that started 150 years ago. But I, uh, it reminded me, and I'm, I'll be posting the study on the website, I'm being reminded that the wicked plan ahead for many generations. They have planned this, uh, this selfie generation, uh, S-E-L-F-I-E, selfie, a generation, and New York Times is one that brought my attention to it, uh, but it is a result of the Fabian socialists many years ago setting their plan in action. 
And the fruit of that plan is all around us. They work for many generations ahead. They work uh, uh, for a dream that 100 years from 18, uh, 1886 is when it really started, from 1886 to the present, that we would have this socialist economy. That was their dream. They weren't in a hurry to do it. They didn't do it all once. They didn't overthrow uh, like, uh, like the uh, Marxists did. That was their dream. They had a dream that extended 150 years. Folks, where's our dream? Where is our dream that obeying God will bring God's blessing upon many generations? Are we putting that dream into action? By obeying the second commandment? I mean, that's the promise in the second commandment. If we will worship God properly through the Lord Jesus Christ, live what we profess, that dream is promised to materialize in the following generations. How much do we love our grandchildren? How much do we love our children? enough to claim the promise in the second commandment. Exodus 20 verses 4 through 6 the commandment requires a worship of the one true God that worship can only be accomplished through the way required by the Father which is the altar of the sacrifice of the innocent victim the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ the righteous might our worship be found acceptable in the Lord's eyes and pleasing to Him. Let's pray.